Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you took the time to listen to this message. We think it's going to encourage and inspire you. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Just honored you took the time to listen to this message. We're just believing that God is going to speak with us this morning, this afternoon, or wherever you are. So hey, why don't you just pray real quickly with me. Let's just pray this out loud. Just say, Jesus, you are welcome here. I want to begin this morning in Luke chapter 1, and uh, this is going to kind of set the backdrop for what we're going to do this morning and where we're going to go. This is a famous story. You may have heard it, but uh, you can follow along. Luke chapter 1, it says this. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? Good question. The angel angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even your relative Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month for no word from God. I said for no word from God. Come on, somebody. Let me hear you will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I want to call our message this morning, the call of Christmas. The call of Christmas. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, my name is Harrison, and uh, I'm the pastor here. Just so honored you took the time uh, to listen to this message, watch this message, wherever you are. Uh, one thing that you need to know about me, and I'm sure a lot of you guys out there are like this, but I love movies. I love movies. Any, anyone out there love movies? And I, I kind of consider myself a movie uh, connoisseur. I think I have an eclectic taste, meaning I like a wide variety of movies. Like, I like superhero movies. But I also like, you know, like sad movies. And I like uh, dramas. I I like movies with depth. I like comedies. I just have a a wide variety. I love all movies. I love good movies. Uh, But out of all the genre of movies, I would say that my favorite genre is the suspenseful thrillers. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those movies where like the whole time you're like, you're really trying to pay attention to the plot. You're trying to figure out what's going on. And I love those movies where like you have to pay attention because you don't know what's happening. But then I love at the very end of a movie when everything comes together and you have that moment and it's like, oh, like that's what it was all about. Even more than that, I love, I love when the movie ends. You guys know this one? And, and when it all comes together, it was completely opposite 
of what you thought it was going to be like, and you're just like sitting back, and your mind is blown. Like, I love those movies, and if, if you're watching online, you can comment some good ones that we can all watch the Christmas season, because what else are we going to do but watch movies? But I love, I love those movies, because um, like you just, you don't know what's happening. You're always on the edge of your seat. Everything is like twist, turn, plot twist. Now, that's like my favorite. That's what's one end of the spectrum. Now, the opposite end of the spectrum uh, is probably the romantic comedy. And the reason that the romantic comedy is on the opposite end of the spectrum is because every single romantic comedy is exactly the same. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like guy meets girl or girl meets guy. And at first, they're kind of like repelled by each other. They don't like each other. They're just not into like one person has sworn off relationships. But then by some twist of fate, every single time they end up like working together or she's his pretend boyfriend or they're on a ranch together and he's shirtless all the time. Something just like brings them together and every single time those people just begin to slowly fall in love. But come on somebody, someone say but what happens is right when the, the romance is blooming, right when they're about to, 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 to really take things to the next level in non-biblical ways, what will happen is that uh, like an ex will come into the picture. You guys know like the big conflict and it's like, oh my gosh, my ex is here. And, and then there's like this conflict and the relationship comes crumbling down. Yet in every single movie, at just the right time, they get together. Again, and it's happening every single romantic comedy. And the subcategory of romantic comedies is Christmas romantic comedies. And the Christmas romantic comedy is exactly the same, all the same drama. The only difference is in every Christmas drama, when the ex comes back or whatever the issue is, it gets resolved on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve every single time, and they live happily ever after. And, and the romantic comedy, or the Christmas romantic comedy, is so predictable. You know exactly what's going to happen, and, and, and because I know exactly what's going to happen every time, I'm never surprised. And I, I know the moment that I have to pull Christy a little bit closer every single time. And although it's on the opposite end of the spectrum from the suspenseful thriller, I still like the romantic comedy, even though it's predictable, even though it's safe, even though every single time it's exactly the same. But what was funny is I think if, if most of us, if I were to pull most people, and you can let me know, I would say most of us would, would say or most of us would prefer to watch the suspenseful thriller. To watch the movie where like you don't know what's going to happen next, where there's twists and turns, where there's more depth, where it's not as linear as a romantic comedy. I think most of us would choose the depth over the predictability. But what's interesting, I think... When we look at real life now, I think for a lot of us, if we had the choice and our lives were to look either predictable or, or we don't know what's going to happen next, although a lot of us in the movies might like the suspense, we might like the action, I would say in real life, for a lot of us, we like the predictability. We like when things are linear. We like when we know exactly what's going to happen. We, we, we like the rom-com. And it's funny because most of us, I don't think we would ever choose a life where we live in the unpredictable. I think a lot of us like that straight line. And maybe I wonder, for a lot of us, it's like, well, I like that predictability. I like that stability. I like to know what's next. That's why I follow Jesus. 
Because when I follow Jesus, it guarantees my safety. It guarantees that like every single step in my life is going gonna, is gonna to go how I thought it's going to go because Jesus directs the steps of the righteous. And so that's why I follow Jesus because I like safe. I like predictability. Now, I do believe that when you follow Jesus, that, that, that Jesus is an anchor. I believe that Jesus is a firm foundation for the storms of life. And I believe that Jesus gives us something to cling to. However, I do not believe that when you follow Jesus, your life will be predictable. I do not believe that when you follow Jesus, every single step is going to look exactly how you thought it was going to look. In fact, when I surveyed the Bible, come on somebody, what I find is that for the people that follow Jesus, more often than not, the moment they follow Jesus, their lives get flipped upside down. Everything changes. Nothing looks the way they thought it was going to look. That's just what, it, what it's like in, in the Bible when you follow Jesus. Yet what's funny and what's interesting is most of us and a lot of us, when we sign up for following Jesus, we think safe. We think predictable. We think romantic comedy. I want to serve the God of the romantic comedy that comes through every single time on Christmas Eve, Christmas morning. That's who I want to follow. But I look at the Bible and the God of the Bible does not work in a linear way. Now, it's funny, and I was talking uh, to my wife, and one thing I've been saying lately is like, man, like this year, it doesn't even feel like Christmas at all. Like, I can't believe we're, we're under a week away from Christmas. Because like, and I know a lot of us, we're all in the same boat. It's like my, my traditions, this isn't, this isn't what it usually looks like. This isn't how it usually feels. Like, I see the lights, but this just doesn't feel like Christmas. Now, what's interesting is that when I look back at the very first Christmas, and I look back at the true story of Christmas, and spoiler alert, it's not jolly old Saint Nick, it's, it's baby Jesus. But when I look at that story, the very first Christmas, and all the events leading up to the very first Christmas, what I realize is that this Christmas, Christmas 2020, actually looks a whole lot more like the first Christmas than any of the Christmases that most of us have had recently. And so what's interesting, and what I want to do is I talk about the call of Christmas. I want to look back at the events leading up to the very first Christmas. Because I believe that the events leading up to the very first Christmas, not only do they parallel so much what many of us are going through right now, but what I also want to see and what I also want to dismiss is this notion, and I would even say this myth, that Christianity is convenient. Because what we're going to learn in this story this morning is three distinct callings that come out of Christmas. And what I want us to see is that the call of Christmas is the opposite of convenient. It's the opposite of linear. It's the opposite of predictable. But when we understand it, I think we will see why over the years so many people have decided to put their trust in Jesus. And so I want to look at the call of Christmas this morning. If you're ready to go, I don't care where you are. If you're by yourself, just shout, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to look at, at Luke chapter four or chapter one uh, this morning. And so Luke is one of the four gospels uh, in the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus. Now, Luke's book, written by a man named, you guessed it, Luke, uh, probably has the most details surrounding the buildup to the birth of Jesus, to the buildup, like the, the pre-Christmas. the pre -Christmas. And so that's why I want to study because I believe from it, like I said, we're going to learn three things 
about the call of Christmas and more specifically what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. Because even from the time of his pre-birth, following Jesus has looked a certain way. So Luke chapter 1, it says this again. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. When Mary uh, heard this greeting, She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I want to stay here for just a second. You see, what happens, and I'll break it down, there's this person, and regardless of your church history, whether it's a little or a lot, you've probably heard of Mary and Joseph, the the parents of Jesus. And so what happens in this story is that an angel comes to a place called Nazareth, and an angel comes to a woman named Mary. And the angel says to Mary, greetings, you are blessed, you are favored, God is with you. Like what a message to get from an angel of the Lord. Like that must have been amazing. And so we think that it's going to say Mary was so happy. Mary was grinning from ear to ear. Mary was so happy. Instead, it says Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I love the Bible because the Bible doesn't document things often how we think they should be, but how they actually went. Because for a lot of us, it's like, if I saw an angel, I'd be so happy. The Bible's like, no, you wouldn't. It'd probably be kind of scary. Like, who's this big dude in my house? Like, and so it says, Mary was greatly troubled. But what troubled her even more than his presence, it was his words. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. Now, this is the English translation of Greek. Now, in the Greek, when it talks about her wondering, the word, if it was better translated, would be saying that Mary took an audit of his words. Mary took an audit of his words. In other words, Mary was extremely rational, and she tried to figure out what he was saying. Because, can we go back for a second? The angel says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That's what the angel says. And so Mary is wondering what kind of a greeting this is. In other words, what do his words really mean? Now, the only reason Mary would say that is if the angel said something confusing. And what we're going to find out, and the little clues that we get in this, is what Mary is saying and what Mary is feeling is, you know what, I heard the words of the angels, you're blessed, you're favored, God is with you, but I don't actually feel that way. And so she was confused. And I believe she was confused for a number of reasons. Number one, it says the Bible, uh, the angel of the Lord, the Bible says, showed up in Nazareth, the place where Mary was born. Now, for anyone kind of with like a biblical knowledge, Nazareth, Nazareth will stick out to you. Because it's like, oh, I've heard of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, right? And we kind of think of all the honor and the prestige, like Jesus, King Jesus is from Nazareth. But what a lot of us don't understand is that Nazareth before Jesus was a small town, literal town of nothingness. One commentator, when speaking about Nazareth, he said that Nazareth was remarkably unremarkable. In other words, there was absolutely nothing to it. The Old Testament, outside biblical sources, no one mentions Nazareth. 
because it's a small town just outside of Galilee. It's a small town that was miles from any road. It was miles from even a proper water source. It was just, and, and so in this time, similar to our time today, cities were the epicenter of the world. And so if you wanted to be someone of prestige, you were from a city, right? You were from you were from uh, Los Angeles. You were from New York, like somewhere with prestige. And, and so it's funny because when Jesus rolls on the scene, one, uh, many times the people will say something like, Nazareth, what good can come from Nazareth? Because it was just, it was small. It, it was nothing. And so Mary is from this small and this nothing place. And so when she gets this message from God that says, hey, you are blessed and favored, she's like, wait, I'm from Nazareth. What do you mean I'm blessed? What do you mean I'm favored? But, but here's the thing, and here's even the bigger reason I believe that Mary didn't believe the words of the angel. I believe it's because in this time, Mary was a woman. In fact, more accurate, Mary was a young girl. And so in this society, in this patriarchal society for, for a woman, for a young girl, you did not have high social status. In fact, before you were married, you actually had like no status. Now, Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph, but she wasn't there yet. And so her status was not yet cemented. And so what that means at this time, Mary was a young, most likely uneducated woman from Nazareth. She was a nobody. She was someone that was easily overlooked, someone that no one would think twice about. Mary from Nazareth. And so now her words make more sense. Because when she takes an audit of her life, even though God says she's blessed and she's favored, she's like, man, my life doesn't feel blessed or favored. This doesn't look the way that I thought it would look. But here's the thing I want us to understand. And, and I'd love for you to write this down because I don't have it on the screen. But if you take notes and if you don't take notes, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. But what I want us to see is that God sees our situations different than we do. God sees our situations different than we do. Mary sees her life as, as a Nazarene, as, as a woman. And she sees worthless. She sees lowly. But God, listen to this, sees blessed and favored. God sees blessed and favored. And so here's the thing I want us to understand. Because the pre-Christmas arc and the call of Christmas gives us three calls. Here's the first call. The first call of Christmas is that we need to begin to see our lives through the, we need to view our circumstances, I should say, through God's lens, not our own. We need to view our circumstances through God's lens, not our own. Now, now this is so big because for so many of us, when we look at our lives right now, and, and for, so, for most of us, I would say, it's like, man, this, this doesn't feel like Christmas. This, this isn't how life is supposed to be. And for a lot of us, this has been one of the worst seasons ever. And maybe when you've been extremely rational, maybe when you've taken an audit, it makes sense. Well, it's like, Harrison, I'm unemployed. Harrison, my relationships are crumbling. Harrison, there's sickness. Harrison, there's death. This is the worst Christmas ever. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being rational. I'm just taking an audit. What else can I call this season? But here is the thing, and what we learn from Christmas is that we do not view our circumstance through our lens. We need to view it from God's lens because God sees things differently than we do. What we see as despised, God sees as blessed. 
God sees us blessed. You see, what, what I want us to understand is that you can follow God. Because a lot of us, is like, I follow Jesus, and the reason I follow Jesus is so my life is linear, so my life makes sense, so everything goes in a straight line. But here's the thing. For a lot of us, we will follow God, but we will continue to look at everything around us through our own lens, through, through a human perspective, through a straight plane. But what God is saying and what we're learning in this story is that God views things through a different lens than we do. God sees not what is, but what could be. Now, what's interesting for, for so many of us, we know Jesus of Nazareth as someone great, as king of kings, as lord of lords. For a lot of people, Mary is the blessed mother Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus, and she's someone that we, but it wasn't always like that. And so God had to speak into that situation before it was ever there. Can I encourage you, what if in this season that you're calling the worst ever, what if God is calling us to view it through his lens? What if God wants us to see it differently? What if what we call the worst ever, what if what we call despised, what if, we, if what we call rejected, God wants to call accepted? God wants to call chosen. God wants to change this season around. It's funny. I remember uh, I was preaching a few months back uh, at church, and uh, after I had finished speaking, uh, there, there was a lady, a young girl, uh, that wanted to speak to me after service. Uh, she had some questions about my message, uh, the validity of some of the things I was saying. And as pastors, we love nothing more than people criticizing the very thing we work hard on. Um, but I said, okay, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to answer some of your uh, questions. And so uh, she asked me a few questions, and, and a lot of them were, were really like surface and small things. And I'm so thankful I preach from the Bible so I can refer to the Bible. And so I don't have to back anything up with my thoughts. I back it up with God's thoughts. Come on, somebody. Uh, but as I was answering every objective, she would kind of just pause uh, and stop and I could tell there was something deeper and I could tell she didn't even know what her problem was I knew she had a problem with me but I also could see she didn't quite know what it was and so we were working and we were working and finally after like 20-30 minutes she said you know what she said I think I know what my issue with you is and I said please I'd love I'd love to hear it um, and she said my issue with you and with your preaching is that I feel like you're preaching and, and what you're putting across is that if you follow Jesus, everything is going to work out. And I don't think you're preaching enough about the cost of following Jesus, the, the hard times and, and the hardships and the burden of carrying your cross. I don't think you're preaching about that enough. And I said, you realize you've only heard one sermon. But, but it is funny and I'll tell you the same thing right now that I told her then, and I'll tell you how it relates to what I'm saying right now. You see, the reason that I, I will, I believe, and I'll call it relentlessly positive, the reason that I will be relentlessly positive 
is because I believe that we serve a God, come on somebody, that is able to see and view our situations in a different way than we can. I believe that we serve a God, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, chapter, verse, chapter 8, verse 28, that God will work together all things for the good of those who are called according. So I just believe that we serve a God that can actually turn things around. And so am I relentlessly positive? Yeah, I am. And I will never stop being relentlessly positive because I do believe that when you follow Jesus, listen to this, I will never ever guarantee anyone that when you follow Jesus, your life will go exactly according to plan. I will never say that. I will never say that when you follow Jesus, you won't experience hardships, you won't experience pain, you won't experience loss, you won't experience death. I would never say that because as a follower of Jesus, you better be prepared for all of that. But what I will say is that when you follow Jesus, you have the ability to view your situation through a different lens because we serve a God that has a higher plane. We serve a God that can take any situation and turn it for good. We serve the God of Genesis chapter 50. It says that you intended to harm me. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's why we sing the song that says you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Come on, somebody, make some noise because it's empty in this room right now. And so I want to hear you online. We serve the God of the turnaround. And so what that means is my situation may not look how I want. Christmas 2020 may not look the way I thought it would look, but my hope Hope is in the belief that I serve the God, come on, that can take my situation, that can take a cross that was meant for death and turn it for life, that can take a despised young girl from Nazareth and turn her into the blessed mother, Mary, mother of our Lord, Jesus of Nazareth. You see, when I follow Jesus, my circumstance might not change but how I look at it can. How I look at it can, and I can, I can see things from a higher perspective. You see, all we can do in this season and all we can control right now is our perspective. And so one thing I've just said over and over again, because I've unfortunately spoken to so many people and it's been a rough couple weeks. I know it's been a hard couple weeks. But all I say is we can't control what happens. We can't control policies. We can't control any of these things. But what we can control is our perspective. And I've just been saying to so many people, what if in this season, when everything around you is dark, you've, you've been laid off, you're, you're still searching for work, you've experienced heartache, you've experienced pain. What if in this season, when everyone is looking at you and they know that you should be down, you should be depressed, you should be downtrodden, but what if instead you focused on something higher? What if instead you said, I'm going to praise Jesus anyways. I don't know how this situation is going to turn out, but my hope isn't in the situation. It's in, it's in him, and I'm believing in him in this season. And I just, I just wonder what could happen. I just wonder what the world would look like if in a time when it was so dark, if as the church, we just continue to show light. We just continue to show up with hope, with peace, with joy in a time where it did not make sense. And I think this is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And so what Paul is saying here, this is God's M.O., 
This is how he's worked. He's always worked in hard times. He's always worked in sickness. He's always worked in death. That's just God. And so what God does when it says that he chose the foolish things, can, can, can I tell you something, church? What if you were light in darkness? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, that's foolish. There's going to be people that know your situation. They know exactly what you've been through. They know exactly how hard this time is. And they're going to look at you and say, man, how do they still have joy? How are they still showing up? How do they still have peace? I wonder if they have access to something more. That's what Paul means. It's funny, I have a new friend, uh, and he watches church online, and one thing that he always says, uh, and it's, it's, it's his trademark, and I'm going to steal it, but he'll always finish uh, whatever he's saying with um, the saying, but life is beautiful. But life is beautiful. And so I messaged him a few weeks ago, and I was like, hey, man, how's it going? And he's like, it's going all right. Uh, Christmas is kind of canceled. All my plans with my family is gone. I was supposed to go some places. It's all gone. It's all canceled. He's like, but you know what? Life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. That's what he always says. And I read it, and I was just so uplifted because his situation, I thought, man, if this is the situation where he's not going to use his tagline, this will be it. But he still finished it. But life is beautiful. But life is beautiful. But life is beautiful. And so I want to encourage you. I know it's hard, but life is beautiful. Why? Because we serve a God that changes things around, a God that works through all things and in all ways. And so I, I wonder if, like, what if we could change our definition of blessing? Because for so many of us, a blessing is when things work out the way that we want them to work out. Then it's like, yeah, hashtag blessed. I'm blessed. God bless me. But when I look at Scripture, Oftentimes, the biggest blessings in our lives will come from the situations that we would never choose. Let me show you what I mean. It goes on. And so Mary tripping out, but the angel of the Lord said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What a promise. But Mary asks a very logical question. That sounds amazing, angel. But how will this be? Since I am a virgin... How will this be? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. How is this going to be? Well, Mary, the Holy Spirit's going to impregnate you. I can almost imagine Mary, oh, just, just how I thought it was going to happen. Now, it's, it's funny because I, th I think a lot of us, we know the story, but for many of us, we don't know the weight of these words. You see, the angel gives a promise. And the promise is, hey, this child in you is going to be something. It's going to be more than something. It's going to be the Savior. It's going to be the Messiah. It's going to be Jesus. But for this to happen, the Holy Spirit's going to impregnate you. Now, we know the whole story. We know how it ends. But we need to, to, to focus on this moment and what this actually meant for Mary. You see, what this meant for Mary is that Mary could lose everything. Why? Because let's be straight up. When Mary goes and tells her husband Joseph, or our soon-to-be husband, I should say, 
hey, I'm pregnant. Um, and Joseph's like, we've, we've never been there like that. Mary, what do you mean you're pregnant? And Mary says, well, actually, the Holy Spirit has impregnated me. Uh, you guys can probably imagine what Joseph's response is. That's a good one, Mary. Uh, but seriously, like, just, tell, just tell me his name. Like, just tell, tell me his And so what happens is the Bible actually says that Joseph decided and he planned that he was going to divorce her quietly. Because he heard the story. and He's like, nah, peace. And so I can imagine in that moment that Mary knew exactly what was going to happen when she told him the message. She knew she would lose him. And you need to understand something. For her to lose her husband-to-be because she was pregnant, not, that wasn't just the loss of Joseph. That was the loss of security. That was the loss of, of the respect of everyone in her community. And here's the thing. This son literally had no earthly father. And so there wasn't going to be a man that was going to come up and be like, yeah, that's my son. There was no one. And so Mary must have known in this moment that to follow God was going to cost her something. Because people are going to think, oh my gosh, she's a whore. You want to know what the penalty for, for adultery was at that time? It was death. And so in this moment, Mary could have literally lost her life. And so here's what I want us to understand. And this is going to help us as, as we figure out perspective. And it's the second call of Christmas, and it's the call of Mary that she gets right here. The call of Christmas, the second call is this. We are called to give God everything. We are called to give everything to God. Mary knew in this moment she had to give everything. Can I tell you the paradox of following Jesus? Jesus promises us so many things. In this moment, he promises Mary to be the, the father of the son of God. But with it comes a cost. With it, with it comes the, 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 the belief and the idea and the reality that she could actually lose everything. Her reputation. That's the first thing. If anything, she's going to lose her reputation. Can you imagine telling people? I can imagine as she's walking around, there's Mary. This, the, the mother of God, there she is. Like, what a, what a lady. But Mary was willing to lose it. She was willing to lose control. She was willing to give everything to God. And why this is important is because I believe that the only way that we're able to change our lens, the only way we're able to view things from God's perspective and not our own, is when we are willing and, and able to lose control when we're willing to lose control. Because here's the reality. If I am trying to hold on to everything in my life, how will I ever give up control and say, God, I'm believing that you want to take something out of this situation? The reality is the, hold, the, the harder we hold on to things, the harder we hold on to our lives, we will never be able to change our perspective because we will view everything in our life as ours. And listen to this, if my reputation is mine, then I care so much about what everyone thinks about me. If my reputation is mine, listen to this, it means I just, I really want people to like me. And so maybe I'm not going to talk about Jesus. Maybe I'm not going to share Jesus because like I want to talk about him at work, but like what if my coworkers think I'm weird? 
I want to talk about Jesus, but I'm actually a doctor, and so I'm supposed to be, like, educated. And how can I tell people I believe in a God? And I, just, I actually just happen to believe that following um, God and believing in a creator is actually the most intelligent decision you can ever make. But that's a whole other sermon for another time. But the reality is, is for so many of us, our reputation is so important. And so we say, I can't let go of my reputation because if, 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 I, if I let go of it, people are going to think differently of me. But, but can I tell you something? As much as I do believe that uh, it's a great decision to follow God, I believe it's an intelligent decision to follow God, I also must submit that I believe in a virgin birth. I believe that God came down to earth in the form of a baby, and I don't care who you are. That's a little bit crazy. But I believe it, and so did Mary. And so Mary in that moment was willing to let go. Listen, for, for, for so many of us in this season, we need to let go of control. Because as control has slowly been, been, been taken from us, it's about to leave us anyways. And so the harder you grip onto it, the harder you want to know every single step, the faster you will lose it. The faster you will lose it. But when I give up control, that's where the peace comes. But, but that's also where the criticism comes. Because for a lot of people, it's like, wait a second, like, how, how come in a time when there's a global pandemic, how come you aren't scared? D didn't you see the news last night? Well, I, I actually just happen to believe in, in the Savior, and his name is Jesus. And I know that no matter what happens, life or death, even death, God knows, and God holds the keys. So I, I hope, I'm, I'm believing for the best, but my, my faith is in Jesus. But the only way to get there is to give up control, is to give up control. And it's in those moments when we give up control in these situations we talked about. It's where when things don't make sense. It's where when I've been laid off, when I'm going through heartbreak, when I'm going through hard times, I'm just, I'm, I'm letting go. And I'm trusting you, God. And I'm believing that you're going to take something out of this. But the more I hold, the farther peace becomes. For, for a lot of us, we've been given in this season, faithfully given. And for the outside world, it's like, how the heck are you giving in a time like this? Listen, we, we had our year-end offering last week, and my favorite moments were there were so many people unemployed, lay off, laid off, that gave. And what they're doing in that moment is saying, it doesn't make sense, but I'm giving control to you, God. I'm giving control because I'm believing you're going to do something that I can't see. You see, the paradox of following Jesus is when we lose control, we actually gain it because we gain the peace and we gain the thing that God wants for us. And I just wonder how many of us are missing out on what God actually wants for us, what God actually has for us because we want things to work on our timelines because I want to know the next step because my life needs to work like a romantic comedy. I need God to come through on Christmas Eve. But when we lose control, when we give it to God, and I love what Mary says, it's so simple. She knows the risk. She knows that she's being called to give God everything. All she says is, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. L listen to this, church. The only reason that Mary is blessed has nothing to do with anything that she did. 
but everything to do with her just simply saying, I am God's servant. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. You know what's interesting? We never hear anything about Mary's parenting. We don't know what it was like how she raised Jesus, if she had to scold him. And you guys know the, the Christmas song um, about uh, Mary, and I can't even remember right now, but I know it's out there. It's something about her being the mother. But, but I think the reason that we don't have those details is because none of those are important. Because we pretty much get this, I am the Lord's servant to Jesus on the scene ministering 30 years later. It's because all that matters was her saying, God, I trust you. You are in control. Can I tell you something, church, when it comes to following Jesus, you don't have to have your act together. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be someone. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what people call you, who you are. You just have to say, I am willing to give everything to God. And I love the next part. She says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Then the angel left her. You see, when you follow Jesus, we take that step out in faith. And so Mary has this great promise, but she has no guarantee. She doesn't know what it's going to look like. She doesn't know what the next step is. All she says is, may your words be fulfilled fulfilled. You see, the last thing and the last call of Christmas is that we are called to believe what you can't see. Believe what you can't see. You see, the reason that I said this Christmas is so much like the first Christmas is because so many of us right now are being called to believe when we can't see. We're being called to believe when all that is around us is dark. That the news gets worse. It's not getting better. But the call of Christmas is to say, when I follow Jesus, I'm always believing something good will come from this. May your word be done. I'm just your servant, God. You see, the call of Christmas is this church. It is ultimately for darkness, for light, I should say, to shine into darkness. And one of the reasons that we can do this, one of the reasons we can believe when you can't see is because what the verse before tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, it says, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. So I want to speak this over you right now in this pre-Christmas message, in this lead up, in this time where it feels dark. No word from God will ever fail. And the word from God is this. He is the God of the turnaround. He's the God that takes the wise things and makes them seem foolish in the face of what he's about to do. He's the God of Genesis 50. that says he's going to take the bad and turn it for good. And so in this season, listen to this church. When we say I'm letting go and I'm letting God take control, no word from God will ever fail. And on the other side is peace. On the other side is blessing. On the other side is new life. And so I want to encourage us in this season, what if God has something better for you on the other side? What if God is calling you to be a light in the darkness? No word from God will ever fail. 
So right here, right now, for anyone that's listening to my words, whether you're watching this, listen to this, I just want to give us the opportunity to respond. And so in this moment, wherever you are, just, just if you want to say, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you this season. Jesus, I want to put my hope in you this season. I encourage you in this moment, just open your hands, raise your hands and say, Jesus, I'm, I want to follow you. I want to follow you if that's you in this moment. And I want to pray over you right now. God, I pray for anyone in this season, anyone in this moment that needs peace, anyone in this season, anyone in this moment that needs joy, God, I pray that they find it in you. I pray that people decide today to be light in darkness. God, we thank you so much for the call of Christmas. We thank you so much that you've come down into our situations, into our circumstances. We love you, Jesus. You see every one of us. You see every hand. You see every heart. We love you, God. We pray in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. Hey, if you want more information, if you've decided to follow Jesus, we encourage you to head over to kingdomchurch.ca right now and connect with us. We can't wait to get to know you. Until next time, you take care.